the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and Talk910.com. This is Rob Black. Welcome in. It's Rob Black Show, 910 AM. Still kind of figuring out what sort of day I'm expecting here. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. We can talk about anything that you want to talk about. This is a financial show. It's a show dedicated to getting you to retirement. It's a show dedicated to helping you cut down on financial mistakes that you're probably making in one way, shape, form, or the other. I promise not to delve too far off on too regular of a basis, but on occasion, I'm going to talk a little pop culture. How can you not start by talking about the Academy Awards, right? You almost have to start by talking about the Academy Awards last night. But there's other issues that are out there today, too, like the Obama health care overhaul. And why would I talk politics? Politics are a big, 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 big part of what works and what doesn't work on Wall Street. And being a big part of what works and doesn't work on Wall Street, that thus becomes a big part of what works and doesn't work in your portfolio. And do you get to retirement and or not? So these are all very, very big issues. And again, we could tackle them in in multiple forms. I think the best way to do it is you and I discuss things, and that's usually done via telephone call. So I ask you call 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Don't be shy. Uh, That's the worst thing that you could ultimately do is being shy. Now, the Academy Awards have an investment angle. I know you're saying, really? I want to know about this investment angle. What happened last year? And again, I'm not really going to talk much about the Hurt Locker and whether or not the tension that was involved in it was the reason or Sandra Bullock. I'm not going to talk about whether or not she deserved to win because, quite honestly, I don't know. That woman's had a lot of work done on her face. and I don't know how original you can be when you've had that much work done on your face. There's an investment angle on, on Wall Street tied towards the Academy Awards. What was it? Well, it it comes in a different form. For instance, it it doesn't even have to do with Avatar last night. Well, it does have to do with Avatar. But Alice in Wonderland, it played this weekend in 3D at 188 IMAX locations in the United States and Canada. Virtually every showtime sold out. This is a new theme. Now, again, I don't quite get it. I'm not a regular moviegoer anymore. Regular moviegoers are 18 to 35. I just don't have the time, don't have the patience um, plus then, you know, you sit through a flop one, two, three, four, five times and you're like, oh, good God, did I just really waste four hours of my life getting to and fro and throwing down money for this piece of, and yeah, you get a little bit upset about it. So IMAX is, I think the big story of the Academy Awards. Now you could say Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin, they did the best they could last night. You could say, what the hell was up with that opening number or the weird interpretive dance in the middle of the show? Why? How about the bad camera angles on all of the people that John Hughes done had done in films or or 
more adequately said, his alumni. John Hughes died at 57 years old. There's our first business lesson of the day. 57 is pretty early, right? I think we all think we're going to make it to 75. He didn't. Hopefully he had a will. Hopefully he had the proper insurance. Hopefully he had things in place that would have needed to be in place. Uh, But again, I think the big story, the investment story last night has to be IMAX. And what a run that technology has had. And the stock, which, you know, if you've been listening to the show for 10, 11, 12 months now, you know what I've been talking about. IMAX is one of those growth stocks. It's $15 stock. Since we started the show back in March, it's gone from $5 to 15 Thank you very much, James Cameron. Thank you very much, Avatar. Huge, huge play um, on Avatar. And it's growing. Now, IMAX just isn't the big, a- the big, big screens. Every now and then I want to say the word ass and I, I, I stop myself and I hesitate. I, maybe I don't need it. Maybe I can do a, a show without it. You know, forget Mothra. Remember Godzilla versus Mothra? Mothra! If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. IMAX gives the new meaning to Monster Vision. And it's, it's, it's a lot more than just projection and sound. They've got 350 plus giant screen IMAX theaters in more than 40 countries. The theaters are owned by commercial multiplex operators, museums, and science centers. They're licensed to use the IMAX name. That's a big thing, licensed. There's a lot of money in licensing. Let's say, um, let's, let's use one that you can grasp pretty quickly. Playboy, the Playboy Bunny. I'm not talking about Playboy magazine. I'm not talking about the Playboy mansion. I'm not talking about the Spice Network that they own or the Playboy television that they own. I'm talking about the bunny, the white bunny on the black background. That is an image that is licensed, and if you go to casinos, you'll see it. You'll see it quite often. Uh, If you go to foreign countries, you'll see it quite often, to be quite honest with you. This is another example. So there's a lot of money in licensing. So this is a company, IMAX, that licensed just the use of their technology. So they don't go out and and spend money on it. That, That costs money. They develop it, and then they license it to other people. So anyway, long story short, huge winner at the Academy Awards, in my opinion, because 3D is proven to be red hot in 2010. And Avatar was the first step of it. Wild wave of successful 3D tentpole movies. Alice in Wonderland uh, this weekend posted $210 million. Whoa. Are you kidding me? That's a pretty big... And most of that push was tied towards 3D. About 70% of the business came from theaters with at least one 3D screen, about the same percentage as the opening weekend of Avatar. So the new Tim Burton-directed movie was at 3D locations at more 3D locations than its predecessor. Exhibitors have added capacity since Avatar. Now, James Cameron's already said that he's going to make an Avatar 2, 3, and 4. So we know this 3D technology in movie theaters is not going to go away anytime soon. So Alice in Wonderland played at 3D, uh, 188 IMAX locations in the United States. Virtually every showtime is sold out. So it was a big weekend, huge weekend for Alice. Big, Bigger weekend, in my opinion, for IMAX than anything else. And let's see, um, IMAX is going to report their earnings on Thursday morning. Now, the stock has run from 5 to 15. Thursday morning when they report their numbers, if they don't turn hay into gold, the stock's going to get hit. There, there's a huge built-in expectation that they should have blowout numbers, right? So, second half of 2010, 2011, studios, can they become more and more profitable by going after regular 3D screens versus IMAX screens? We don't know yet. I would be very cautious. And again, you're saying, Rob, didn't you just spend the first seven minutes talking about IMAX as a growth story? And now you're saying be a little bit cautious. Yes. 
That's what I do on this show. I, I temper you. I show you great ideas, then I temper you. And then when you play into fear, I, I temper you. I bring you back to the real world so you don't make huge mistakes. Now, speaking of huge mistakes, and we could say the Academy Award conversation's over, unless you want to call in, 800-345-5639. You want to call in with your commentary. Did you love Steve and Alec? Didn't the show kind of end kind of an anti-dramatic, anti-climatic kind of way? Just, it was over. So, I think they should eliminate, and okay, see, I'm still talking about it. I can't even play by my own rules. I think they should eliminate every freaking fracking category, except for supporting actor, supporting actress, best actor, best actress, movie of the year, and director of the year. Just go do six. You don't have to do the, the, the best musical documentary. No, we don't need that. We don't need the best animated documentary. We don't need the best documentary that's shorter than five minutes, best documentary that's longer than 10 minutes. Like, too much. It's too much. It's too much for my little pea-sized brain to handle. What would you change about the Academy Awards if you could change anything? That's a good question. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Now, there's another big story out there today that just gets me kind of a little riled up. It's tied towards the foreclosure crisis, the Obama administration. They've been trying to keep defaulting owners in their homes. Now it's going to take a different approach. Our government's going to pay you money to leave your home, to sell it as a short. This latest program, it's going to allow owners to sell for less than they owe. It's going to give them a little bit of cash to speed them on their way. It's one of the administration's most aggressive attempts to grapple with a problem that has defied solutions. Now, one thing that I like about it is it'll get more houses on the markets. Home values will crash. Or go substantially lower if this truly works as it sounds. Now, the latest program, it's going to allow owners to sell for less than they owe. It's going to give them cash. More than 5 million households are behind on their mortgages and they risk foreclosure. The government's $75 billion mortgage modification plan, it's helped only a very small few in the world. Consumer advocates, economists, and even some banking industry reps say that more needs to be done. So now they're going to go a different direction. Instead of telling the banks to modify your loans, damn it. They're saying, why don't you go ahead and short sell, get a lot of inventory out there, and we'll give you some cash. Damn it. So take it effect on April 5, the program, it's not passed yet, but the program could encourage hundreds of thousands of delinquent borrowers who have not been rescued by loan modification programs to shed their houses through a process known as a short sell. That's when you sell the property for less than it's worth or less than the balance of the mortgage. Lenders would be compelled to accept that arrangement for giving the differences between the market price of the property and what they're owed. Basically, this would be a streamlined, streamlined, standardized short sale process, making it easier on the borrower, because right now that process is, is humongous. But, you know, here's where this could also set up for huge fraud. What if you want to short sell it to your neighbor? And then your neighbor, you know, sells it back to you down the road. Pretty crazy, right? So under the new program, the servicing bank, as well as the modifications, they would get $1,000. <laughs> that's not a lot of money. Another thousand can go towards a second loan if there is one. And for the first time, the government would give money to the distressed homeowners themselves, an extra $1,500 in relocation assistance. Now, should this prove successful, the short sales program could have multiple benefits for the investment pools that own many home loans. There's the prospect of getting more money with a sale than a foreclosure. That's positive. For the borrowers, there's the likelihood of suffering less damage to credit ratings, although there still would be damage to credit ratings. 
And as part of the transaction, they would get the lender's assurance that they will not be later sued. Now, again, not a lot of details are out on this thing. So it looks to me to be tailor-made for fraud. You know, short sales last year started to increase. They remain relatively uncommon. Fannie Mae said, you know, uh, pre-foreclosure deals on loans in its portfolio have more than tripled to 2009. So we'll start seeing it. It's an interesting approach. Instead of fighting fire with fire, they're fighting fire with water this time. It's probably the right approach to do. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com, rob at robblack.com. You listen to 9, 10 a.m., more stimulating talk. Talking all things financial. Get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. It's hard to believe it's almost been a year. A year on 910 KNEW. Many, many, many years ago, back in 2000, 2001, I did a show on 910 AM. So it's it's the circle of life, so to speak. It always comes back, right? So we're going to celebrate. I believe in celebrating. As I get closer to death, I celebrate. So, and I'm getting closer to the death of this show. <laughs> um, yeah, so me and Heidi, uh, we're, we're packing up our 910 KEW van, and we're going to go down to O'Neill's Pub, March 25th, from 530 to 7.30, O'Neill's Pub. But we're also going to bring prizes, uh, because we know that's the only way to woo you out of your house on a Thursday evening when you can be watching Survivor. I know, who planned this? Who planned this? Well, I guess we can be home by Survivor, since it only runs 7.30. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, good times, good prizes, good people. Oh, that sounds like a well-written commercial. March 25th from 530 to 730. It's uh, me and you, so to speak, talking money, talking finances, uh, just doing a little hobnobbing. Uh, I'll bring like a list of investment ideas. I'll, I'll figure out something to give you to will you. But we also have a 21-inch monitor we're going to be giving away. There may be three people there. So your odds of winning that monitor may be one in three, which isn't too shabby. Plus, we're going to give away an hour of time as a co-host on the show. So if you want to break into radio as a co-host, kind of like an Ed McMahon, if I say something funny, you got to go, <laughs> if I say something smart, you have to say, you are correct, sir. So you got to be very Ed McMahon-y to be on the show. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Anything Hi-oh! that you want to talk about, you can pick up the phone and we can talk about it. I really don't want to talk about Toyota right now. I'm going to skip it and come back to it. Let's just say that there's a memo that's been circulating at Toyota uh, from some union employees that they had these safety concerns way back in 2006 and that Toyota kind of ignored them. I'll come back to that maybe. To me, boring, boring, boring. I'm just getting freaking, freaking tired of this whole Toyota story. So research in motion. Let's do a little bit of money 101, stocks 101 kind of thing. Research in motion, their shares are staging a clean breakout. What's a clean breakout? It's basically a three-month technical resistance surrounding the $71, $72 mark. So today it pops to 73. So in the last three months, it's it's tried to get above it, tried to get below, 
Couldn't do it. Tried to get above it. Couldn't do it. Tried to get above it. Couldn't do it. It held. It held. It held. So it breaks the resistance. That to some investors is a momentum breakout. So it's a new area. It's a new. It's 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 virginal. It's nice. We kind of like that. So um, research in motion. It's moving a little bit higher because there was some analyst reports out there today that talked about stock being an outperform. They lifted the price target to $88 for one research house. They said they expect a meaningful beat when Research in Motion reports its earnings on March 31st, driven by strength in all regions. Competition, quote, that we were expecting now seems further away, including a CDMA iPhone, giving Research in Motion the ability to further grab share in the smartphone segment. Now, they also expect the solid cash flow performance from November quarter to continue. So they feel pretty good about it. Now, keep in mind the phone wars which I guess we're going to be looking back on in 10 years. Keep in mind, if you have a kid today, they won't believe you when you say, we used to not have wireless phones, that used to have a, a wired phone. They're, they're, they're going to say, you had a landline? What's a landline, right? Kids being born today, they're going to say, what's a phone without, without video on it? Like, you're lying, mom and dad. So they're going to be like calling BS on you, right? Anyway, a long story short, um, the phone wars... Yeah, research motion's still alive. Now, I personally would have thought, well, I, I, I don't really have any faith in Palm. I really don't. Cute phones, they need to be acquired. They just, they had market share at one point in time, they lost it. Now it seems to be a two-horse race. Now, maybe a three-horse race. Maybe we got a, a third horse from Google and the Droid. Now, but ultimately you got research motion's BlackBerry which became famous after 9-11-2001 because they were one of the phones that worked during the disaster. And they were one of the phones that uh, people were able to communicate on and, and discuss and uh, you know get updates out there. So it, it's worthy of note. It's worthy of note. Where else do I go with this? Um, I think Apple's a $1,000 share company. I know you're saying, Rob, it's only $225 right now. I know. But I think the iPad will be okay for them. More importantly, I think the iMac continues to grab market share from Microsoft and from HP and Dell and other vendors. So I also I think the iPhone continues to you know grow its installed, ba- installed base. Now, here's the problem is at some point in time, the commodity pricing of phones becomes problematic for a company like an Apple. So keep in mind, I'm not going to pay $600 for a phone. I'll pay $200 for a phone. And in probably about three to five years, I will pay $100 for a phone or $50 for a phone, I will lower my number as time goes on. I will become more, you know, I think that's too high. I think that's a crazy number kind of situation if you kind of see where I'm going at with that. So it becomes very much like a commodity. Now, even people like me are starting to become a little bit more retro where I don't know if I really want my phone to do all those crazy things. I took email off my phone a couple of years ago because it was so problematic where you were always checking, you know, to see where it was. But anyway, research in motion is breaking out today. So go take a look at a chart. You can go to bigcharts.com, bigcharts.com, type in R-I-M-M, and then you'll look at it for three months, and you'll see that it's it's broken out of a three-month trading range. So it's a momentum. It's a short-term momentum play. I can't tell you where it's going to go. I can tell you that's what a breakout looks like. Let's go to Chuck in Petaluma. Chuck. Bob, how you doing? Doing okay. Love your show, as usual. You're kind. Um, I have a rather obliquely related uh, financial um uh, the thing for you here, uh, related to the Oscars. Have you seen um, Harvey Weinstein and his wife? No. 
you have to check that out. It's uh, um, it screams Hollywood. It uh, he, he's a sort of a short, fat, uh, not very attractive guy, and he's got a uh, probably a world class model for a wife. You know, it's uh, interesting. But um, there, do you have a problem with that? No, no, that's America. Keep in mind, I, I was married to a Playboy model, and if if you want to be honest, I I that's marrying up well for a guy. Oh, with Rob, models. you're not that bad looking, man. I'm, I'm not that bad looking, but I'm not that good looking either. That's true. So her jeans were better than my jeans, although she had crazy in her jeans. So I didn't have crazy in my jeans. So I I, I ended up. I'm I'm so glad she's gone. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The wicked witch, the mean old witch. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, um, you know, I don't have much faith in the uh, morons uh, in government here, and I, I don't think they're going to do anything until they absolutely have to. And I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I may be wrong. I, I hope I'm wrong. Maybe you can tell me I'm wrong. But I, I just have a feeling, you know, you, you know, the United States is going to go to the brink of disaster before anybody does anything. And I'm just wondering... What that would look like financially, and how to protect myself in that—if if that scenario, um, you know, transpired. Holy mackerel! You are right. He's got a gorgeous wife. Um, <laughs> how's that for attention deficit disorder? No, no, no. We're not going. We're not going towards the brink of disaster. We're not, and people need to stop saying that. Like, you, you don't think so? Huh? I mean, we're in debt. You know, blah blah blah. You know, right? I think we have problems, and we've always had a very bend-don't-break attitude. Now, I don't think we're Greece. I think we can spend our way out of it. As long as you keep how much debt you take versus a percentage of your GDP, you can see that historically we haven't been ruined, Chuck. Now, I'm a little troubled. I am a little troubled in the state of California and the United States government that, you know, there tends to be no accountability. Uh, when you put President George W. Bush, George Bush Jr. in, and he increases the deficit like crazy, you know something's wrong because he's in theory a conservative Republican who's, who's not going to spend on poor people, who's not going to spend. But yet he did. Um, so to me, I think what we've got to do at some point in time is start electing people not on popularity, but on what they say they're going to do and, and hold them accountable. Um, I would love to see some sort of line item veto come in to, you know, uh, allow governors the ability to kill programs that are over 30 years old that are no longer relevant, um, or at least bring them up for review for a state vote or a state, um, you know, assemblyman kind of meeting, so to speak. Uh, like Prop 13, it's such an old rule. It should be reexamined. It should be. We shouldn't say, well, it's there, therefore it's okay. We should look at it. And if, if we don't, I think we're being fiscally uh, irresponsible. So anything that's over 25, 30 years, as far as spending programs go, they need to be cut or at least revisited. Thanks for the call, Chuck. Do you see that happening, though? I do, I do not see that happening at, at all. You know, it's a, a, it's a third rail, you know. There's a, propos- uh, there's a proposition coming up in November for exactly that. Um, will it pass? I don't know. Uh, you're right. It is a third rail. Yeah, everything is broken. Um, but if we're borrowing these monies at seven to eight percent interest rates versus where they are now at one to two percent interest rates, 
Uh, now, again, California is more junk-like, so they're borrowing more like 3 4%, 5% interest rates. But uh, you get the point that as long as interest rates are low, we could work out of this problem. But yeah, I think it's a bend, don't break. We'll see. So you may be right. I may be wrong. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m., more stimulating talk. <laughs> Black talking all things financial. What's going on, people? Get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Now, today I'm going a little stock heavy. I started with the Academy Awards. Stopped. I just don't want to do it. It's cliche. I got into a little bit of Money 101 stock breakouts. I think it's interesting to note when you look at a stock, what's a breakout mean? You know, where are we going with this? So research and motion's breaking out today. Now there's another stock that's breaking out today. If you want to take a look, it's it's MasterCard. MasterCard and Visa both doing very well. Now MasterCard and Visa are gonna have to deal with some twenty first century money I'm not gonna say laundering. It's a better way of saying money transferring. The way MasterCard and Visa works is so so 1960s, 1970s, where the only thing they're not doing now is having the merchant pick up the phone and calling Visa to get approval, which is, for the record, what some merchants used to do. So they would get your card, they would go call Visa, and they'd get the approval, they'd write the code down and say, done. So, so they've kind of cut that out of the whole process, but it's still very, very problematic. Now, I'm taking a look at MasterCard Visa. I like both of those companies. I think they both have good growth, and they're both breaking out today. Get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Let's talk a little bit of technology. JMP Securities this morning is doing an upgrade on Yahoo. Now, first and foremost, you don't know who JMP Securities is. Second, you don't know who their analyst is. So why do I bring this up? Because instead of saying, I'm going to do what they tell me to do, what I would prefer you do is try to figure out why they're saying that. Not sure if that makes any sense to you in any way, shape, or form. Try to figure out why an analyst would upgrade a company. Now, again, there's some ways as an investor that you're going to approach investing. You may be a college student who you're not even thinking stocks right now and bonds and 401ks. You're thinking college which is exactly what you should be thinking because that way you can increase your ability to earn income down the road. You may be a house frow, sitting around at the house and doing nothing, raising a kid here and there, getting him up, putting him on your boob, sending him off to college, sending him off to school, whatever it is you house frows do. And you may say, ooh, I want uh, an investment idea. And that's exactly what this is. It's an, an idea. It shouldn't be put into your portfolio automatically. But JMP Security says it's a $21 stock. Now, real quick, I'll take a quick look, and I'll see that Yahoo is currently at $16.50. So if you take a look at that, $16.50, and if it does go to their stated goal of $21, 
that'd be a pretty damn good rate of return. Now, typically, analysts have a one-year price target because they don't know what's going to happen between now and, and one year. But they say, let's take a look at the earnings and let's take a look at the margins and let's take a look at the product. And we think in one year, the valuation will be a little bit higher in large part because of, in this case, the relationship with Microsoft. But on top of that, they think that Yahoo trades at about 3.9 times 2011 adjusted EBITDA. Now, I probably blew away about 70% of the listeners. Adjusted EBITDA? EBITDA is one of those, it's, it's, it looks like E-B-I-T-D-A. And that means earnings before interest tax, depreciation, and amortization. Now, what does that exactly mean? Earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Well, honey, I made a million dollars, but because I have to pay taxes of a million dollars, I actually earn zero. So it's the honey I made. That's EBITDA. It's fantasy. It's not real. It's fake. Because you do have to pay interest. You do have to pay tax, depreciation, and amortization. So it's a fantasy number, and I hate EBITDA. So right there, that analyst in my mind goes down a notch. And he says, historically, it trades at about 2.7 times, which implies 14% up downside, but 46% upside in the stock. Because historically, it's gotten as much as 10 times EBITDA. Now, historically, we ain't anywhere near where we are historically on where dot-com stocks once were. So I'm not really sure. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers on EBITDA to see if Yahoo ever was at 10 times. I don't know. I'd have to take a look. I can't, like, I can't take this guy's word for it because I don't know what he means by historically. It's like you and me. You and I say, uh, you know, the history of the cell phone, you may go as far back as the 1900s. And you may say, Graham Bell. You're like, hey, that's where it all started. That's the history. Um, I may go further back than that and say, you know, cavemen pounding rocks on their cave. Like, historically, we have different kind of definitions on what it means to us. So this analyst, I'm just going to say bunk, throw it away. It's not that relevant. It's just not that relevant because uh, now, again, it helps me build a case, which is probably the other investment lesson that I want to get out here is you have to build a case. Say, for instance, you want to buy a company like Visa. Well, let's say you want to buy Procter and Johnson and Johnson. You go conservative company. It's been around for 100 plus years. Like, okay, so you said it's conservative. It's been around 100 plus years. They make things that I need, Band-Aids and good good economy, bad economy. Babies, no more tears, shampoo, good economy, bad economy. So you start building the case, and you start hearing like, oh, this analyst says this price target based on EBITDA in this price range. And then you get, So you build a case, so you start looking at EBITDA in price ranges. You start looking at profit margins in the last five years. You start looking at, at gross margins in the last five years. You start looking at revenue in the last five years. Um, you maybe even go out 10 years and say, how did this company do after 9-11? How did this company do during 2008 when, you know... The poop hit the fan, and every stock was getting murder-related. How did it do? So that's what building a case is all about. The worst thing that you can do as an investor is say, I heard a great tip. I heard NVIDIA is coming out with a new semiconductor in March that's going to change the world. It turns hay into gold. And that's, all, that's the only thing you buy it on? That's ridiculous. you got to get a case. you got to build a case. Best case, worst case now. 800 345 5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800 345 The Rob Black one-year anniversary party at O'Neill's coming up March 25th, 530 to 730. More details coming soon. Rob Black, 910 AM. More stimulating talk.
It's Rob Black's shoe. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. I was just looking at the headlines in the world of money, and one of the headlines that came across was Verizon CFO sees 2010 CapEx of $16.8 billion to $17.2 billion. Now, the financial nerd that I am, I would go instantly to figure out what did Verizon used to say it was going to be? What is CapEx? CapEx means capital expenditures. How much are they going to spend on other people's gear to basically make Verizon, you know, the right maps? You know, the maps? Television commercials where Verizon's comparing themselves to AT&T and they're saying, well, we get way better coverage. They get way better coverage because they're spending $16.8 billion. That's part of the story in investments. Like at some point in time, the phone companies may be able to turn off the capital expenditures or slow it down. Microsoft spends a lot on capital expenditures tied towards research and development that they could eventually say, you know what, we're going to turn this spigot off and just, you know, bleed the franchise that we have until it's done. And that'd be a lot more profitable in the short term for people. But longer term, people like me look at, we see CapEx and we see R&D as important parts of the future. Now, again, first thing that I think of when I see Verizon saying this is who, whose equipment do they buy? Are they buying equipment from Alcatel-Lucent? Are they buying equipment from Cisco? Are they buying equipment from ADC Telecom? Like, I need to know. So if the number used to be higher, now it's lower, that could be bad things for those, those suppliers. If their CapEx was lower and now it's higher, it could mean good things. It could mean happy days are here again. It's just a stupid little thing that came across the wire, right? So, again, that's how my mind thinks. Now, let's, let's look at another one. We had a caller earlier in the show. And where are my peeps? Where are my callers? 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Might start taking off Mondays. Mondays are just a low-volume call day. So maybe, maybe take Mondays off. Do the three-day weekend thing. I think that sounds appropriate. I think I deserve that in my life. Some people do radio. They only do four days, but they take the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Maybe I'll take the Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, poke, poke. Now, for the last four years, we had a caller who basically brought this up. California. These are things that need to be fixed. But there are also things in our system that just need to be freaking honored. Now, California's paid out almost a half a billion dollars to more than 50,000 state workers for unused vacation days, holidays, and comp time. This needs to stop. There should be a policy called use it or lose it. As a result, several hundred employees, they got payouts of more than $100,000 when they left government. Now, including a former prison doctor who got $815,000 basically for comp time, for vacation days that he'd never used. Many of the payments appear to have basically broken rules. And this is where the problem occurs, is there's rules in place to stop this. Ultimately, as bad as it may sound, the problem's starting to get a little bit worse because middle management not sticking to it. So payroll officials say that as of December 2008, more than 14,000 active state workers had exceeded their vacation caps. There's caps out there, and yet we let them continue to build the cap days. That's the problem. In the past four years, nearly 500 government workers earned six-figure paychecks, mostly for unused vacation. In total, the state spent about $486 million between 2006 and 2009 to pay more than 52,000 employees for time off benefits. Now, many of these cash payments appear to violate the rules that were you know, put in place to stop this. Most employees are allowed to bank 80 days worth of unused vacation. But records show that supervisors routinely allow them to exceed that amount. So these large payouts 
made during a tumultuous time for the state budget when lawmakers are trimming programs for child welfare, for elder care, for domestic violence, and other state services to help eliminate multi-billion dollar budget gaps. It just brings up a question. It's, you know, we got a $20 billion per year shortfall, and we're seeing people with 80-plus vacation days. It's got to stop. It's got to, we got to cap it. We got to say, hey, if you want to take the day off, take the day off. But, you know, you don't get to roll that over for five straight years. It's a little bit on the ridiculous side. Now, I've talked some hardcore financial data. I've talked a little California data. I want to talk a little about Generation Y. It's a generation that I admire because they're young and good looking. It's a generation that I admire because they got their life ahead of them. I'm Generation X. And ultimately, Generation Y is a little bit smarter than Generation X. Generation X, I like to say, our parents didn't know what the hell they were doing. They didn't have books on, on how to parent. Now we got books on how to parent. 51% of people age 18 to 34, they're saving for specific goals. That's not bad. Now, 51% are saving for specific goals. The other 49%, they have no clue. So ultimately, if you're 23 years old, and that's young and beautiful, right? You sock away $100 a month in a savings account. It yields less than 1%, but that's the current money market. You'll have $16,800 by the time you're 40. You assume a 25% tax rate, 6.8% tax rate, and 3% inflation rate. But if you wait till you're 30 to start, you'd only have 10000 by the age of 40. So under the same exact circumstances. So time is on your side when you're young and beautiful. It doesn't take a lot of money to add up. $100 a month from age 23 to 40, it adds up to $16,800. That's a lot of money. That's a good start, to say the least. But if you wait till you're 30, it's that extra seven years, is, it's a killer. Even at 1%. Even at the pitiful 1% that I'm quoting. So Generation Y, if I were to speak to you right now, is I would start doing tricks. I do tricks. I can do the splits. <laughs> Get that visual out of your head. I can't do the splits. Um, I think one of the tricks that people should start using is overestimate your spending. Ultimately, what does that mean? The best way of looking at it was in college, what I would do was I knew that I had my rent was what nominal. What I did was I got a five bedroom house and I rented the five bedroom house and then I rented it out to four of my friends and they covered my whole rent. So if it was a thousand dollars, I just charged everyone two fifty for a room and then I had free room because I was managing the property. Again, not every one of us could do that, and it takes time, and it sucks because you're in college, you got roommates flake on you, and then suddenly you're left holding it, but I never had to pay rent in college. So one of the things that I did was I paid $166 a month automatically into my spending. So every month, I was a negative 166 so I had to make at least $166 because that was part of my savings for retirement. So I overestimate my spending. I know that sounds ridiculous, but sometimes you need to trick yourself into it. Like, for instance, I tend to run a couple minutes late. So I always, in my, my, my car clock, I always set it back three minutes. So it's always 10.57 when I'm supposed to be somewhere at 11. So I'm actually there at 11. So if you get my idea, best thing you can do if you're Generation Y, Generation Y, age 23 to 35, is make saving automatic. Automatically set it up through your bank. Have money transferred from your checking account to your brokerage accounts. Do it automatically. Another way of making money in, in tricky ways is, is, is avoid impulse buys. So I keep saying this, but, you know, the shopping bug, it bites. Take a breather before you buy. One of the things that I do with stocks is I like to wait three days before buying a stock. So let's say I come up with a genius idea today. I'm going to buy silver. 
I wait three days to see if I still like it. I want to buy a new video card for my computer at home. I wait three days before I buy it. A, it gives me time to shop for better prices. B, it's do I really, really want it? So if you're young, one of the best ways you can do to save money is to avoid impulse buys. Next up would be spend less on date night. This is a big one. Both men and women. You know, early on in courtship, it's easy to spend $200, $300 on a few fancy dinners. And then suddenly you're 30, 35, 40, and you're scrambling for money. If you look back at all the silly money you wasted in your 20s on dinner dates, holy mackerel. You know, I'll never forget the score of, you know, my first tennis match. I like the romantic angles as well. So spend less on date nights. Like, for instance, um, you live next to tennis courts. Go play tennis on your first date instead of doing a big dinner date. So if you smash her, you know, you can... You can throw in a little side bets here, you know, head rub. You know what head rub's all about. It's all about touching. You know what that leads to, right? So spend less on date night. Do the low-cost dates. They don't look cheap. They're fun, in my opinion. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Entertain at home. That's another good financial tip for the young 20-somethings is entertain at home. You don't have to to go out to spend, you know, a good time. So some of my best college memories were, you know, sitting in front of the television watching a boxing match or something silly like that. So entertain at home. Today, dinners at home continue to mean good times for less money. So uh, just find a way to not go crazy with your, your budget. Entertain at home. Entertaining on out. It gets pricey. Certainly gets pricey, especially if you do drinks on out. You know, you can get a $6 beer in the marina tonight, or you can get a, a six-pack for 7 bucks. Six-pack for 7 bucks goes a lot further than a six-pack in the marina, especially when you tip. And then you get caught up in that social thing of how much do you tip. And see, I get caught up in that social thing because I'm a, kind of a grade B, grade C celebrity. So I never want to under-tip. I will never under-tip. So, because I don't want people to spread the word that I'm cheap. I know it sounds goofy. It sounds weird. It is what it is. Another uh, good idea for young teens and young 20-somethings is, is use cash. Uh, kill the credit card now. Go to the ATM. When you're out of money, you're out of money. You know, I'm not saying go to the ATM to get your money on a regular basis, but that's the basic idea. So, credit's too easy. It's too easy to extend the night and have buy another round on, on credit. Too easy. So eating at work. So try not to go out for lunches. Lunches are crazy pricey. Kill the Starbucks. Um, another way of saving money if you're a youngin is sequester small bills. This is an odd one. And what this means is you want to, you know, remove the ones and the fives from your wallet. You want to stash them elsewhere. So you sequester them. The strategy starts as a way to generate about $100 in bite-sized cash to keep on hand in case of an emergency. But you may find this tactic is so easy that you fly by the $100 mark and suddenly it becomes $200 and uh, suddenly that's your, your retirement payment for the month. So there's just ways that you have to trick yourself into spending less. And one way to do it is to, you know, hey, you go spend six, seven, eight dollars on something. You take that two, three dollars and throw it in a shoebox. I know, I know. You're saying, do you really have to trick yourself to do it? Sometimes, yeah. It's a motivational tool that I'm trying to give you. It's a motivational idea. Uh, it's not the worst thing. I think my best tip in there was uh, play tennis on your first date. 
um, instead of going to dinner on your first date. To get your calls in there, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. One-year anniversary. We're going to be giving away a Samsung flat panel monitor from Geeks on Call. You have to get a raffle ticket. And while we're at O'Neill's, you have to say, quote, I heard it on the Rob Black show, end quote. And you can win, 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 win. We're also going to be giving away a one-hour sidekick co-host prize. Is that a prize or is that a punishment? Making people sit in here for an hour while I abuse them and, and mentally go after them because we're not getting callers. 800-345-5639. Anyway, the one-year anniversary coming up in San Mateo at O'Neill's Irish Pub. 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show, 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.